Hey guys, it's Tasnima Freedy here, also known as Tazzy Faye. And for those of you who don't know me, I started a YouTube channel a long time ago. Started off as a comedy channel where I used to make fun of things in my life as a Muslim American. Uh, nowadays, the youth on TikTok does a much better job of that, I will say. So no need to go look at those old videos. But more recently, I have been making videos about my life, social issues, and kind of doing like a documentary vlog style. And then I also have random videos like of me cooking and stuff. Anyway, if you're interested, you can go check those out. But if you already are aware of who I am and that's what brought you to this podcast, oh, welcome. To be honest, I had no intention on starting a podcast, but I've been doing a lot of Zoom interviews lately for my videos. And I've only been using little clips from those interviews. And some of those interviews were like, an hour long or so, and they were gold. And so I felt like it was really doing an injustice to only show those little clips. So I thought a podcast would be the best format to share them. Now I did ask my audience for some name suggestions because, oh my God, it was like impossible to come up with a name and a logo and all that stuff for this. But I will say there's somebody in particular who I want to give credit to. Her name is Yomna Number N-U-M-M-E-R. A lot of people were sending me stuff like Tazzy Talks, Talkie with Tazzy, okay. Tea with Tazzy, a Tazzy Faye. And when I read the one that she submitted, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is the one, I love it. So welcome to the first episode of Unfazed with Tazzy Faye. So I wanna start off by saying this is the first official episode. So please don't critique too harshly. It was also the first Zoom interview that I did. So there's that as well. So in the wake of George Floyd's death, there was a lot of discussion on social media in general. And what I was also paying attention to was a lot of the discussion on South Asian social media and Muslim social media about topics like discrimination, racism, colorism, and how we perpetuate that in our own communities. So I wanted to talk about a lot of the issues and I wanted to make a video about that. I didn't feel like it was right to just have me on a platform just discussing these issues without without amplifying someone else's voice and giving the microphone to someone else. So I ended up reaching out to Jenna Farouk, who is someone that I've known for a while. We've, we've both uh, been in Colorado for a long time and I always used to see her at community events. So I reached out to her on Instagram and she agreed to do a Zoom interview with me and I felt a lot of what she said was really important. And I wanted to share that with the audience. I didn't want to just use little clips from my video and not give everyone the opportunity to hear the full interview. So here's my interview with Jenna Farouk. Hope you guys enjoy. So um, if you could just start by kind of saying a little blurb about who you are, uh, just a little bit about yourself. Um, okay, um, my name is Jenna Farouk. Um, I am 33 years old. I um, am married with five children and I'm a full-time mama and also um, I do visual art and some spoken word poetry and just some writings um, as well. So, And uh, so my first question I realized after I wrote it, um, I just kind of made an assumption, but did you grow up in Denver? I did. Um, yeah, born and raised Denver, Colorado, specifically the East Side. Um, I went to East High School and Manual High School. Yeah, but born and raised here. Okay. So um, my first question is, how would you describe your experience growing up Black and Muslim in Denver, Colorado? Yeah, my experience, um, I think was, it was okay. Um, I mean, in Denver, like, even though there is like racism that's prevalent everywhere, right? I didn't necessarily feel it. Like I haven't felt any, you know, like no one has ever came up to me and said anything racist or, you know, done anything racist. And honestly, like, you know, I grew up like in the inner city, you know what I mean? Where people would consider the hood, you know, as much as we have one in Denver. Mm -hmm. um, and I was always accepted, you know what I mean? In terms of, you know, being a Muslim and being a hijabi, you know, since I was 12 or, you know, in sixth grade. Um, I mean, I was always, I, I always felt safe. Um, I mean, I was definitely like the only one back in the day who was covering. So, you know, people would always ask me like, oh, you know, like why you got that thing on your head or whatever. But, you know, once I explained it and, you know, they saw I was a normal human, you know, just like them, it was like, it wasn't even a second. So um, as far as your experience specifically with the Muslim community, um, 
I know, you know, also growing up in Denver, it's also changed a lot, like as far as how it's grown. Um, I feel like it's a lot different now than it was um, maybe like 15 years ago or 20 years ago. So anyway, what, what has been your experience with the Muslim community in particular? Yeah, I, I find our community interesting. I think it's really segmented, but honestly, you know, I've traveled a little bit and I think that that's everywhere, which is an unfortunate kind of thing. I think overall, like, you know, there's like, um, you know, at least back in the day, there was Masjid al right? It was like, that was the Black Masjid. Um, you know, Masjid al-Nur was like the Libyan Masjid. And you have like all these different, you know, like pockets, you know, and we would come together sometimes like for the Eid and stuff. But, um, you know, I think we were definitely um, not united as we should be. Um, and also, although, so I haven't experienced racism like within the, you know, wider, you know, Denver community, but the racism that I, the only ex- racism that I've directly experienced has been within the Muslim community, which is super unfortunate, you know, like, mm-hmm. because I'm black, right, people automatically um, assume that, number one, like I converted, that I converted just yesterday. I don't right. know anything. Um, you know, I've, so, so many times, like I can't even count the times, right? Like I tell people my name, like, you know, what's your name? And I'm like, I'm just, when I'm talking to Muslims, right? Like, what's your name? And I'm like, Jenna. They're like, oh, Jenna, Jenna? Like, parent, like, do you know what that means? As if like, I don't even know the meaning of my own name, you know? Um, you know, and the assumption of being a, a convert, you know, obviously there's nothing wrong with conversion, like the Prophet, peace be upon him and all the Sahaba, you know, they were all converts you know they were the best example for us but you know the the question it comes from this place of because i'm black because i'm american there's no way that you know i could be born into this deed let alone you know it being a a generational thing too because when then when i tell them that you know like no i'm born muslim my parents are muslim you know then they're all super surprised but you know the reality is that you know the first muslims in america were African-American, you know, or even black, you know, we were, we were Africans that came here. Um, and even, you know, that it predates the transatlantic slave trade. So it's like, we've been here literally for centuries. Um, and yet we are so often like just left out of the conversation about, you know, Islam in America, Muslims in America, it's like black folks don't exist. You know, it's always, you know, focused on people from, you know, overseas and we're just, our, our, our narrative is definitely, um, missing a lot of the times unfortunately yeah no i can i can believe that and i think uh you know what you said about people always asking you if you reverted or converted that's a very common thing that i hear Mm -hmm. um and that 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 happens a lot and i think it it goes back to this idea that some cultures i don't want to say that they think they own Islam, but like in some ways, oh, that's they, how I feel. yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's always what I felt like. Islam belongs to them; it doesn't belong to me. You know, because they feel like they have rights over it. Again, it's like, so how how could you, you know, be be Muslim and be Muslim for your whole life? You know, it's like it's such a foreign concept to them, and I just don't get it. Like you live in America, but like I know I'm not the first, you know, black Muslim that you come or am I? If I am, that's also concerning, like, where you've right. been at, because we're here, you know? Um, but yeah, it totally is like, you know, we get othered and, like, shunned, you know? Like, we're not, re- you're not, we're not really Muslim, you know? And I also had this experience. I went to um, an Islamic school um, when I was 18 in Chicago. It was in a suburb of Chicago, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a Daisy school, you know? And um, that was when I experienced, like, the deepest, like, like blatant racism that I ever had. Um, you know, there was this one time where uh, one of the, uh, the girls, and I was 18, so every, we, we were all, like, between, you know, maybe, like, 14 and, like, 22, like, all of us, you know, pretty, pretty young. And uh, one of the girls, she was getting married, and, um, you know, we were going somewhere, like, I don't know if we were going to the store, there was some outing that we were all going to at the school. And, um, you know, I was at her, and I was like, hey, are you going to come with us? And she was like, oh, no, because I knew she was getting married, right? The wedding was coming up. But then she was like, oh, no, like, I don't want to go outside because I don't want to get dark for my wedding. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? And, like, she said it in front of everyone, and no one reacted except me. Like, it was clear, like, that was a regular, like, a concept, you know, that the colorism is not something that just affects, you know, 
black people. It affects like people from all cultures. Um, I really saw the colorism issues um, within that school. There was another um, beautiful, beautiful Pakistani girl. She may have even her her complexion is actually she's a little bit darker than me. And um, you know, once I was there, like I felt like she had someone to confide in in terms of like just the racism that she received, and so often she was saying she was left out. And I also learned about this word, um, kalu, kalu, mm-hmm. you know, which is like a you know you you know uh, a derogatory term for black folks. And um, yeah, just super. It was like there's I could give you a billion stories. Um, but yeah, it was unfortunate. It's unfortunate. The most racism is from other folks who share my faith. Yeah. And I, I mean, being Daisy myself, like being from Pakistan, I, I mean, I can definitely attest to that, that colorism mm-hmm. and like hatred of, or, and also like fear of having dark skin is so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Funny. It's like they were scared of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's something, yeah, it's, it's very deep. And I think, you know, it, it translates into anti-blackness when, you know, you put it in a different context. Um, and so that's, that's really, um, like, I don't want to come off as condescending by saying like, I'm so surprised. I'm so sad, but it is really sad that you had to go through that, you know, and I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Um, but I, I'm wondering, this is not on my list of questions, but kind of just based off our conversation so far or what you've told me so far, do you feel like, you know, intense amount of racism that you face from Muslim people, has that ever affected your faith or your path um, as far as, you know, when it comes to spirituality? I mean, it definitely obviously did make an impact, but it didn't, because I know when some people go through this, right, and they, you know, relate these experiences with the religion, you know, and it makes them feel like, oh, maybe I don't want to be Muslim. Maybe <laughs> The, the thing for me, but alhamdulillah, like that was never my experience. Um, if any, I'm, I'm already a very outspoken person <laughs> and having those experiences, um, for me, for me, it, it solidified the importance of, you know, educating others, you know, using my art as a platform, whether it's my poetry or my, you know, visual art, it, it, it made it, you know, important for me to use that platform to, you know, dispel these myths, whether it's about, you know, black Muslims or just black people in America or Muslims or women or whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it did not, you know, make me run away from the dean or anything. It, if anything, it made me dig deeper into it. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, like Islam is a religion that promotes equality, period. Um, you know, and obviously the more I stand, and I, I am super grateful for my experience that I had at that school because, you know, while I was experiencing that racism, I was still, you know, we were, you know, memorizing Quran and memorizing Hadith and all these things. So it was like, I had this contrast of, yeah, this is what they're doing and they're Muslim. However, look at what this beautiful Dean is like teaching us. And, you know, it showed me that this is a direct contradiction of what, and I already knew it was a contradiction, right? But that also gave me the, I guess, the stamina, right, to continue being at that school, even though I faced so many micro and macro aggressions like daily in everything, whether it was what I was wearing or, you know, vocabulary I was using, you know, someone always had, you know, something to say. Um, and, and even though, you know, I did experience it, which and it is a deplorable thing, right? I also knew that these people were well-intended though. You know what I mean? Like they weren't intentionally trying to, you know, make me feel like an outsider or make me feel less than. It was simply like, this is, this is decades, you know, centuries, you know, deep of, you know, this, this ingrained system of, you know, anything associated with, you know, European beauty standards is better. Um, so I knew that it wasn't, you know, even though it was personal, I still didn't take it personal because I'm like, it wouldn't matter who was up in here, you know, you would still be treating them this way because of what you've been taught, because of what you've been raised with and you've never had anyone or anything to challenge you. Um, and I also, you know, made lifelong friends at that school too. Um, you know, when I was there, um, it was, you know, a Pakistani family that specifically like took me in like I was their daughter, you know what I mean? And I didn't experience anything but love and acceptance and protection from them when I was away from home. So. Um, you know, people don't mean it. And that's why it's important to, you know, dissect these things, have these conversations, um, you know, to 
let people know that this is what, you know, the experience is as, you know, as, as a black Muslim, people don't even realize that these questions like, oh, when did you come, you know, when did you convert instead of even asking, are you a convert? People just automatically assume these things and don't realize that they're hurtful. Yeah. Um, and awkward. Yeah, no, I can understand. I actually, um, this might, I don't know, it's not that off topic. I was listening to a podcast. This was probably like four or five years ago. Um, and it was, I think it was an interview with brother Ali and he was talking about how, um, like the Muslim community separates sometimes like also based on where they end up living, um, and different socioeconomics and then jobs and whatever it may be. And then they start to kind of just build mosques in that area and in their communities in that area. And they don't really care about whoever maybe mm-hmm. was here before them. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's unfortunate that that also, it's like, I don't know, like it's almost like you erase other people because they don't yeah. like you or you don't acknowledge them. But so is there anything that you would like to say to non-Black Muslims or um, like Daisies in, in regards to confronting racism within themselves? You know, just be, you know, it's, it's such a basic rule and I don't mean this in a condescending way at all. Um, but really it's like, you know, put yourself in someone else's shoes and talk to people how you want to be, you know, spoken to. Um, I really think that just as humans, we really forget about, you know, etiquette and just, uh, you know, being human one-on-one, like we all need to go back to like a basics of being human one-on-one class and kindness. As, As much as we, you know, bring up, you know, all these hadiths or, you know, whatever situation we're, we're facing. And we always talk about the prophet, peace be upon him and, um, you know, his life and, and, and how he lived and stuff. But it's like, we so often forget about the etiquette side. Like, yo, his manners, peace be upon him, were immaculate. You know, like he never made anyone feel unwanted in his presence. Like, even when someone committed, like, a crime, you know, where death is the penalty, like he was still merciful. And, you know, uh, you know, there's one, I think the story of a woman, I'm super paraphrasing, right? But this woman, she had committed adultery um, and she came to him and was like, look, I did this thing, like, please, like, just, um, I think it's the, I forgot what the penalty, how the penalty was. The penalty was death, it was death, you know, and the prophet Peter Bonham was just trying to, um, you know, put that off and he was like, no, like, you know, go do something else, like come back to me at a later time. And he basically just, just kept pushing it off, pushing it off. Um, and maybe that's an extreme example. But like he was full of mercy and kindness and love and compassion. And, you know, Muslims be some of the harshest, <laughs> judgmental, like just arrogant people I've ever met, honestly. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a shame. That's a shame. Um, we got to do better. Be kind. Be kind. Be thoughtful. Be open. Be the yeah. person, <laughs> you know. That's my advice. No, I think you're. I think you're right. Um, so <laughs> I was reading through uh, some of your older blog posts, and I came across this one from 2017. It was titled "Raising Black Children in America," and you were talking about a time when your daughter had asked you um, about participating in, I think it was a cultural festival, and then how that kind of was like oh, a festival. yeah. How it was um, yeah, okay. an anxiety-inducing experience for you. So, could you, um, you know, I know you talk about it in the blog post. I could refer people Uh-oh. to that. So, my kids are still only, you know, all elementary school age. Um, this was a few years ago, but every year at their school, they have, um, you know, a cultural festival where, because their school, I think it, it might be like one of the most diverse schools in the Cherry Creek School District. Um, I mean, there's over like, there's at least like 30 different countries represented in that school. So cultural festivals, a night where you come, you know, you dress in your, um, you know, cultural clothing and you basically just rep whatever country, you know, you're from, you rep it hard. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's like Ethiopia, um, Mexico, Russia, Poland, um, just, I mean, there's kids literally, Malaysia, like any, any, there's so many countries represented at the school. So, um, you know, and my girls, they're so excited. Like, mommy, can we be in the cultural festival? Can we participate? And I'm like, well, and this is how every black American feels. It's like, yes, we're American, but like, are we really American? You know, like in terms of, you know, the government, right? We feel like that's a total disconnect. Like, I don't want to rep nothing 
about you and what you represent, right? Like I, I feel completely separate from that, right? But on the other hand, it's like we are we literally built this country, you know, we built the White House, you know, and you know, literally the infrastructure that everything sits upon today. Like that was, you know, built with our hands. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, but it's like but we're from Africa, but because of, you know, all that transpired transpired through slavery, it's like we literally have absolutely no way of ever knowing where we are from. And when we look at the tragedies from, you know, all of history, all over the globe, I'm not sure that there's any other people who have been completely removed from who they are. We don't know what country we came from. We we lost our language, our religion, like our marriage customs, our death customs, like our food, our, like everything that makes a human a human, we were stripped of that. And not only were stripped of it there's no way to recover you know there's there's absolutely no way there's there's other tragedies that have happened um you know in other countries and other parts of time it's like but you guys still know who you are you still can reach back and and with with black americans like if that's it's a, it's a devastating reality to to realize you know um and 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 even though that we, we have that tragedy with us it's like but we also have now the ability to create, you know, a, a new culture. You know what I mean? Because although we are from Africa, like that's not necessarily like I, I can't relate. I don't I, I wasn't born there. I don't I don't know those languages, those, you know, those customs. I'm American and I'm African. So what does that mean for me? So um, we're also in a very powerful position to, again, you know, create an entirely new culture that is specific to you know, our, our triumphs and our tragedies. Um, and so I was thinking, I was, all this was swirling in my head and, you know, I'm like, well, my husband, like one of his sisters took like a DM, you know, one of the like 23 and me things and they found out that they're from, you know, a couple of different countries in West Africa, um, supposedly. Right. And I'm like, well, but I don't know, you know, okay. Yeah. We could wear, we can, you know, Google online and, and figure out like what what do they do in my country? But it's like that's not. I shouldn't have to Google something that I, you know what I mean. So yeah. basically, it boils down to I was like, you know what, Hola, we're American and we're gonna show up and we're gonna represent America, not necessarily by stars and stripes and star spangled banner. Like mm-hmm. um, what I ended up uh, doing is that I was I was thinking about like what. Um, you know, movements have there been within the Black American experience that are, you know, that that are important, that are, um, you know, like kind of these milestones for us. So I um, decided to dress my daughters in, um, I wanted them to be like, to represent the 70s era of America. So um, yeah, we uh, threw some daishikis on and they had like Afro puffs and, you know, like just big Afros and bell bottoms. And, you know, that was the way we represented America. And I think that needs to be more a part of it because again, when you think about America, you probably don't think about you know black folks from the seventies or black folks from the eighties or forties or um, you know the the Renaissance era, right? Like the nineteen twenties. You don't think of that, and we should like we absolutely positively are American. There's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't be ashamed of that, and um, we're a part of this country just as much as anybody else. And, uh, but yeah, it was before I got to that conclusion, I was stressing out. Okay. Cause my daughters were just like, mom, you know, we want to do it. And they're, and, you know, their eyes are, you know, they're so excited and they're like, yeah. And, and, and they have no idea that like what's going on in my head, you know, behind that. And, but I'm, I'm glad that happened because it was like, you know what, damn it. We're American. You know what I mean? We are black Americans and that's all right. It's a really great story and, you know, I'm glad that it, you eventually, you know, figured something that you were comfortable with. And I mean, I, I, I can't imagine what that's like, but, um, I can imagine also raising kids in this environment, um, especially being a black woman, it must be difficult because you know, the struggles that you went through and you're probably, you know, afraid of them also going through these struggles. And then, you know, obviously with the, the history of violence against black people in the U S um, that's also another element of it. Um, so it must be super anxiety inducing. I'm not, I'm sure not just for, you know, things like a cultural um, event, but for other things as well. So 
Yeah, like, I mean, even um, my, again, my oldest is 10, right? She's in fifth grade this year. But I mean, as early as like first or second grade, like, you know, people were making like race, like other preschoolers, other kindergartners making racist comments to my children. You know, like I remember one of the first things I remember is um, my daughter, my oldest, she came home. Again, I don't, her, she could have been older than first grade. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that she was sad because one of her friends didn't want to play with her. And I was like, why? And she's like, oh, you know, my friend said she didn't want to touch me because she didn't want to turn black, you know. Um, and, you know, there have been kids that just straight up, you know, calling other other kids nigger, um, you know, just I mean, and it's like, what in the what kind of world is this where, you know, and again, it's not these babies faults. It's like, well, this is how they are being raised. This is they're just regurgitating. They're, what they are subject to in their environments, they obviously think this is okay. This is the standard. This is what we do. Okay, well, I'm going to go to school and do the same thing. So, you know, it's just really hurtful because, again, you want to protect your children. You want them to, you know, not grow up with, you know, self hatred or anything like that. But it's, it's very hard to try to combat it when everywhere you look, you know, you either don't see representation of yourself or the representation that you do see of yourself, you know, your cast as like, you know, the help or, you know, some thug or you're ignorant or, you know, you're a thief. And it's like, we are not that, you know, and um, it, it is very hard to try to constantly try to counter the, the mainstream narrative that you hear about, you know, who you are. So it's unfortunate, but you know, how many at the same time, you know, it's like, we don't despair. Like this is the position that, you know, Allah has put black people in. Um, and I, I feel like that, you know, even when you are victimized, it's still, you're in a very powerful position because you get to, you know, choose in a way, like, are you going to pass along, you know, these, you know, are you going to pass along this hurt, this pain, or are you going to work to eradicate it? You know what I mean? And are you going to take your experience to, to help others and to make sure that this doesn't happen across any other, you know, ethnic or, you know, national lines? So, you know, it's, it's a heavy burden, but how do you know? I mean, it's all written. It is what it is. And you're going to work to change it or you're just going to complain about it, you know? I mean, but that, and that, and that is a lot. I think, uh, you know, as you said, the erasing of your identity or your culture, you know, in, in mainstream or it being kind of like the narrative being taken away from you. And then it's, it's even more disappointing also that even like from the Muslim, like you have it from both ways, you know, you have yeah, it from the Muslim community and then you have it from everywhere else as well. So that's, um, you know, that's really ugly. Like, I don't, I don't know yeah, what else to so say. It is. It's, it's so ugly. And, you know, racism is really like the stupidest thing to like hold on to because it's like, not that you should judge people, right? But it makes sense to judge people off of things that they can control. You know what I mean? But it's like, no, you, no one chooses to be this way. You didn't, you know, if you feel like you are superior, you had no choice in that. You had no say in that, you know? It's just unfortunate. It really is a sickness of the heart. and. Uh, you know, I personally feel like all of the ills, whether it's greed, racism, glut, all of those things, it comes from like a spiritual deficiency. And I feel like spirituality and our connection with God is missing in so many conversations all of the time. And it's like, for real, until we address like our hearts and like our spiritual states, none of this is going to matter because that's that is where that is where these things are originating from and we ignore it and think that you know it's all these outward things that we need to change and yes it, it, there are you know physical things that we need to change with our hands but it's like even Allah says you know he's not going to change the condition of a people until we change what is within ourselves so it's like until we have that introspection until we look at how have I been oppressive in my own personal life to my family my friends my colleagues until we look at ourselves that way we could, we could, we could protest and march and, you know, do all the petitions we want. And this is for everybody. I'm not just talking to black folks. You know what I mean? But until we look at our own selves and, and work to rectify our own ills within ourselves and our household, none of this, it's, it's all futile. It's all futile. Right. You know, our spiritual wellness is everything. And we are so spiritually like deficient and sick. And I pray that a lot, like, you know, guides us and, and allows us to confront our, 
demons and really work to, to heal those and to eradicate it, inshallah. Inshallah, I mean, yeah. And I think, um, you know, when you bring up the spiritual and, and when you educate or like when someone like me educates myself on, um, or anybody, when anybody educates themselves on racism, um, it's pretty plain to see those things like greed and, and uh, you know, the, the, the fear of sharing things with others or the fear of sharing your wealth or whatever it may be that really perpetuates. Um, and it is a sickness of the heart that if you are afraid that if someone is equal to you or that if they have what you have, that that's going to be, you know, going to... Mm-hmm. I'm having trouble finding my words today. Yeah, that it takes mm-hmm. away from you. Yeah. Um, and same thing in the, with, you know, even when we talk in, in the context of immigrants or people within the, the Muslim community, you know, what, like, you know, this this all applies to that as well, too. Um, it's all a spiritual sickness, so. Absolutely. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Like, there, there's enough of everything for everyone, you know, and, and so often, like, I mean, we fear the most illogical things, you know, like Allah says that he made us into different nations and tribes so that we could know one another. You know what I mean? It's Allah stating like, yeah, like I made you, you guys different, but it's so you can become closer, you know, and we literally do the opposite. We allow these differences to keep us apart, to keep us separated, to, to be fearful, to be, you know, anxious about, you know, different people coming in and it's just, it's so sad. It's so sad. And I think that we equate being different with, you know, if something is different, it means one is automatically better than the other and one is less than. And it's like, no, it just means we're different. That's it. That's literally it. But right. yeah, we're just, we're, we're not, we're, our foundation is not, you know, a law. It's this dunya. It's the worldly thing. We want to have, you know, nice things and a nice title and live in this neighborhood or, you know, and it's like all of this fades, all this fades. Well, what, how, how does this help you in your afterlife? You know, and I don't think we, we, I don't think that we make our goal, you know, the next life. And, and I don't think we, we, we even think about our actions or even our routes in life, whether it's our job, our careers, whatever. It's like, we are sending all of this forward. You know what I mean? And how will that, how does this help us when those angels come? How does this help us when we meet our creator? Like, and I, I think if we, we if we thought more long term, and we'd just be in a, in a much better in a much better place in the world. So, inshallah, we can get there. Inshallah, we can. But yeah, so from here, I think I want to just pivot to a little bit more um, about you as an artist. So I know, I mean, we. We have even been on a panel recently together. Um, I know you do spoken word poetry. Um, and uh, I have a ring that you made and I had bought from you probably like oh, four or five years ago. Um, so you, you, I know you do it in all sorts of, you know, written, physical painting. I don't, I don't know all the terms for all the different arts, but, but you, you, you definitely uh, do it all. And I've noticed also in a lot of your work, um, you talk a lot about social justice issues, um, but also uh, you use a lot of words of prayer. So I, and you've also brought up in this interview, um, you know, spirituality. So I'm wondering if you feel that there is a connection between social justice and spirituality and how that kind of looks in your own life. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that you cannot, I think it's, it's, you can't be successful, you know, without having that balance. I mean, the whole point of, of life is, you know, a balance and not being too far to the left, too far to the right, but, you know, that middle path. And it's like, if you don't have the balance of, you know, again, God and, and spirituality and a, a deeper sense of accountability, like you're going to stray, you're not, you know, you, you're going to lose sight, you know, and honestly, I'm like, I don't know how people how do you keep doing this work without having spiritual grounding? Because you will be depressed. Like you will mm. lose sight. You know, you, you can e- very easily become overwhelmed and feel hopeless. Um, you know, because if you, when we, because uh, c- what's happening right now, like as horrible as it is, like this is nothing new. Like there's mm. been so many tragedies in the history of the world. And honestly, it's just, it just is how it is. And, um, 
you know, and I think that's, that's part of Allah's like divine wisdom and knowing, like if obviously if the world was perfect, nobody would have, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have anything to work for, you know, what, what fires could you go through to purify you? You know what I mean? And, and so much of any struggle, it really is like a, a sort of purification. It's unpleasant. It's painful. It's uncomfortable, you know, um, but we know that we do that for, you know, for, for God's pleasure and to, to also to purify our hearts and our souls. And how can we truly, you know, appreciate the good if we, you know, don't experience these, um, you know, unfortunate events. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, spirituality is, is so important because, I mean, I do see, you know, activists out there that, you know, perhaps don't um, at least don't appear to have any type of spiritual grounding and they just angry. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's all, it's all, there's just no, there's, there's, if there's clearly, you know, an imbalance and, um, a kind of a hopelessness, you know, and it's like, you know, if, if, as believers, right. We know, like, even if, you know, we, we may not see change in our lifetime, we probably won't again, this is a centuries old problem. So it's not like it's going to change in any one of our, you know, single lifetimes. lifetimes. Right. So it's like you you know that this this problem is never going to be eradicated, but still having the wisdom and the faith to know that I still work to eradicate. I still do the work anyway, because that's what I'm supposed to do. You yeah. got to have both. Yeah, because I, I I can see, you know, when you when you brought up the, the anger of um, the person that, you know, I can see how the deeper you get into well, one, like deal, like facing these challenges and then two, also the more, you know, it, it's very dark. I mean, the mm-hmm. more you get into it, it's a very dark oh my God, yes. tunnel to go down. It's a very dark thing to be aware. Um, and I can see how it would really, really take a toll. Um, you know, it's and, and it, to not have any sort of thing to rely on or, or this bigger picture to think of, um, like you said, you know, it, it can be like, just like a big dark hole that you feel like you're just going in. Um, but that was the last question I had for you. I didn't have, um, anything else. Uh, I just kind of asked you follow up questions along the way. Uh, I don't think I have any other questions. I don't know if there's anything that you want to end with or anything you want to say. Not really. I mean, I did want to, um, just what you said about it, you know, being depressing. Me and my husband, we actually just had this conversation. We were just watching Black Panther mm-hmm. and um, Killmonger, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen Black Panther, right? Um, it's the story of this, you know, uh, nation called Wakanda, right? You have this, you know, very prosperous um, country and there's, you know, the uh, an outcast, his name is Killmonger and uh, he grew up in America and just saw all of the injustices that black people went through because we were black. Right. And, um, you know, he's kind of like the, the, the black sheep of the family. Right. But, um, my husband was actually telling me that, uh, Michael B. Jordan, the, the man who played Killmonger, um, I forgot what it's called. It's a certain type of acting where you don't break character the whole time you're filming, like you never break character. What do you Is call it, it method? I forgot. I'm, that's yeah, the only method. word I know. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Michael B. Jordan, he did method acting and he went into a depression um, because of that role. You know, that role was, it was him carrying all of the weight, all of the pain, all of the injustice, all of the evil things that have happened to black folks. Um, and yeah, he straight up went into a real life depression, you know, just um, constantly living in that state. So um, yeah, like the more you learn, the more you like go into the history and just I mean, it's, it's gruesome. It is, it is straight up demonic, you know, the things that we suffer. So it's like, again, if you don't have that balance, like you're going to be jacked up, you're going to be jacked up and you need that spiritual aspect to know that, you know, victory is coming, whether it's in this life or the next, you know, that if you put in that work, that it's, it's never lost. It's never for not, even if you don't see, you know, the desired results in your lifetime, you know, that there is still, um, goodness that comes from it and you know that you know God got you so I learned something new recently I was uh, someone had brought it up and then I was watching the show and it was featured in the show and I, I that was a part of history I mean I went to CVA so I'm not trying to knock on CVA but at the time that I went there um, I don't know like the academics weren't that great and I mean 
just U.S. history in general, I don't really feel like I remember learning much. And then on top of that, mm-hmm. as far as Black history goes, I didn't learn anything, you know? Yeah, so. not interesting. Yeah. yeah, I was just watching this um, this news segment today that was talking about, um, you know, Black history being taught in America. And they were saying, if I remember the stats correctly, I think it was that there were um, seven states that never, in terms of, you know, teaching the history of America, mm-hmm. there were seven states where they never even um, mentioned the word slavery <laughs> in the textbooks. Wow. Never mentioned civil rights. Like, really? Just, and some of the, some of <laughs> Some of the textbooks refer to, um, you know, the enslaved Africans as immigrants. And I mean, it's just a wow, no, the history. I mean, it's crazy. It's not taught. And I think that absolutely contributes to why people are viewing, you know, this whole Black Lives Matter movement in such a negative light. Because what I, I mean, the more that I'm studying, the more I realize that some of these white folks really don't know like the history and uh, to me it's outrageous right because I'm like I live it every day like how can Mm -hmm. you not know the reality of slavery like how do you not know what we went through um Mm -hmm. but it's like yeah if you because because even even when I when I think about right when I do know the the true horrors that I know I did not learn those in school. I learned them from watching YouTube videos. I I learned Mm -hmm. them from reading and, you know, just going to different events where I would hear, you know, different speakers, you know, lecture on different topics. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so it's like, there are just, there are really uneducated people in this country who have no idea uh, of the depths of, again, the horrors that we faced. And so they're like, I don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, yeah. and it's like, it's so not that simple. Like it, 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 it's centuries, it's centuries that we are trying, that we were set back, you know? Um, and, and I, I saw this one video and I can't remember this activist name and I'm probably not going to do the metaphor justice, but she tried to explain the plight of Africans, of, of African-Americans um, by using Monopoly, right? She's like, imagine playing Monopoly, right? And you know, the, the your opponent, Every time that it's your turn, you don't you don't get to pass go right. So you have your opponent who's go who gets to go every round is collecting money, and then not only do when you do get a chance to go, you have to give your money to the other person, right? And you know they're they're amassing all of this wealth, all of these resources, all of this property, and you you still have not passed on all of the work that you have put in. You're literally you know handing that over, and then after. 500 rounds of monopoly they're like okay now you can now you can go yeah. and, and actually you can't you can't yeah you can't go that one can't go to that one actually you need to move backwards i'm not doing the it, it justice right but you you give the idea and it's like white people really look at us like okay well you know you had the civil rights there you know slavery's over and it's like do you not realize how set like at what a disadvantage we are beginning at you know what I mean? Like y'all have had generations to build wealth. You you have homes that you can pass down and and you know, you weren't denied, you know, the rights to live in this neighborhood and, and that neighborhood and get this job. And it's like we're st- black people are still denied for loans, you know, for mortgages today, for, for loans for their business, mm-hmm. um, you know, at a much higher rate than anyone else. Even, you know, immigrants who do come over from other countries, right? They just came over, right? And they and you see them, you know, building these neighborhoods and these and these schools and you know, just these little neighborhoods for their for their community, right? And they're able to do that because they're not denied, you know, business loans. They don't have a whole system specifically working against them to keep their families apart. Um, and it's just it's so much that is on the shoulders of black folks in this country and people just don't want to acknowledge it. And um, but I think folks are slowly waking up. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because this time it really, you know, this movement right now, the momentum is crazy. Like it still hasn't died down. And I don't, I mean, I, I, I've even heard, um, um, goodness. I don't, how do, how do I forget his name? But <laughs> she was on, <laughs> she was on, um, democracy now. And, um, you know, and she was saying that, you know, even at the Black Panther time, right, like, yeah, they did have allies and stuff, but she's like, out of all the times that there has been, like, an uprising, whether it was, you know, civil rights era, you know, Rodney King, the L.A. riots, all of that, she's like, it, this, this, this current moment that we're in right now, like, it feels different. It feels completely different, and I've never seen, you know, the country as a whole really, like, stop and evaluate and have to, like, you know, do some 
do some like thinking and like, okay, we, we are kind of racist and we do need to address these things. So I'm super hopeful. And I think we are all living through like such a, a, a revolutionary, beautiful time. Yes, it's full of pain. Yes, it's full of hurt, but it's like, there's also so much beauty and so many possibilities that, you know, can come out of this. So yeah, I'm excited and um, I'm grateful to be alive at this time. I really am. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the momentum of this one was, it, it did feel different this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also when, when I mean, maybe I'm just cynical, but even with my CVA education, I still feel like I still learned something. So when people, when you said like, it's written as like black people were immigrants, like to me, that's <laughs> just like, I don't understand how, because that's I've had these conversations at work have been going on too, and like I genuinely didn't know, and I'm like, you're a liar. Like you're a liar. What do you mean you don't know? I'm like don't lie. Look, but, but as you know, it's not, of course some people may lie, right? But no, like my, my husband, he also does like equity work. Um, equity work. I covered my mouth. I don't know if you heard me say that. Um, but I mean, he has. You know, he 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 is able to have really genuine conversations with people. He, you know, gets to know them. They are able to let their guard down. And they say some of the things that they normally would say because they know that they would be like, you know, like, you know, they would they would be completely attacked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, he has talked to people who, I mean, straight, oh, yeah, it was, I forgot this woman and what her position was. It was when my husband worked at RTD. Um, but she had never heard of Jim Crow laws, you know? Um, Jim Crow laws being, like, you know, after, this was, like, right before the Civil Rights era, but, you know, for anyone else who doesn't know, um, just, you know, all the laws that still prevented Black people from moving freely, um, and she is like, and she, and she considered herself to be like, you know, an educated woman. She went to college, you know, I think may have even had her master's, but she never even heard. She's like, Jim Crow, what's that? And it's like, how, but people really don't, they don't know. And yes, it's like shocking. And every time I say it, even I'm still like, but have you, y'all really don't know, but it's like, they really don't, you know, and, and it's, it's crazy. And we just have so much, we have so much work to do. Yeah. So much work. Hundred percent, and I, I the thing that I learned recently, and it really, I and this was just a few days ago, it really got my blood boiling. I I didn't know about the Tulsa riots. Um, that was something. I was just I don't know, like it. It can bring me to tears. Like it's so just why you know. Um, but even even for me, like I I feel like I'm a lot more educated than somebody who was like, I don't know what Jim Crow laws are. But even for me, it's like, it's every day, you know, or whatever, eventually, like there's always education um, constantly. So um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a lifelong thing. And then the more you educate yourself, the easier it is for you to not see like, things the way I'm not doing a good job of explaining what I'm trying to say, but you know, things that are just blatantly like not okay to do or things that may be in the gray area. Like it just becomes very black and white to you that no, just by simply, yeah. By acquiring knowledge. So anyway, I just encourage everybody to just keep seeking knowledge. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And also actually there is one more thing I want to say to white folks okay because i think the reason why it's so hard for you know white people to have these discussions is because i feel like we like what when when, when we do talk about like white like white supremacy and 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 the idea of white supremacy and white privilege like i think they mean i I think that they misinterpret that as saying like oh well because i'm white i'm guilty or because i'm white, like you think i haven't experienced hardship and it's like we're not saying that we're saying that because the way this country is set up you guys are the majority, you know, you are, you know, the, the heads of state and, and all of these things, right? Like, that the, the, the things do cater to you, right? But no, it is, you should not feel guilty because, you know, you were born the way that you were. And actually, I do want to share, now this reminds me, this, isn't what, what, this wasn't what I was going to say, but I'm going to share it because it totally applies. So um, I'm a visual artist and I um, just got the opportunity to participate in something called the Black Love Mural Festival. Um, it's downtown at Civic Center Park. It actually is going until August 7th. Um, so if y'all haven't been down there, everyone should go down there and see that. 
But um, so one of the mornings when we were first painting, I was down there super early. I was the only one there. And this older white man, he um, approached me and he's like, hey, are you one of the artists? And after I said yes, he like, and this dude, he was like 70, okay? Yeah, he broke down in tears and he's just bawling his eyes out. And he's just like, you know, I'm so sorry for, you know, what, you know, black people have experienced at the hands of, of my people, right? And I just had to, you know, I just like, dude, I mean, thank you, you know, for acknowledging, you know, everything that we've been through. But I'm like, you know, you, you don't carry the weight of any other soul. Like, you didn't choose to be white. I didn't choose to be black. It's not our fault. But this is how it is. But it is our collective responsibility to fix it. Um, but you know, so I, I was, I forgot the overall point I was trying to make, but I know that there are white folks who really do carry some guilt and are scared to face it because they feel like they, they themselves personally, you know, like we're going to feel like they are responsible. Like that's not what we're saying, but we are trying to just, you know, bring, bring attention to the issue that there is, you know, the, the structure in America absolutely supports and upholds all that it means to be white and it attacks everything that is other than that. You know, that's all that we're saying. And we got work to do. We got work to do. Um, and I, I, I hope that people, that white people can come to the conversation with with more of a, an open mind and to know that we are not accusing, you know, you personally of this, but we are saying that, hey, your ancestors absolutely, you know, contributed to the state of our country. And again, it's your responsibility just as it is mine to, to eradicate this. And honestly, it's more so a responsibility of yours to, you know, cut, you know, to, to bring other people in, to, to bring other white people in to, you know, to also educate them because black folks, you know, we can all talk about it until we're blue in the face, but you know, it, it honestly is easier for white people to hear from other white people than it is to hear it from, you know, someone like me, you know what I mean? And it doesn't matter how I say it, it doesn't matter how soft and gentle I am with it. Just sometimes they're not going to get it because they can't relate to me. So when they hear it from, you know, someone else who is white, who can, you know, relate culturally to them, I think it, you know, it makes it easier for, um, for them to hear, you know? And, and also I think that we need to change how we talk about it because so many people, I feel like, they look at racism as like a black people problem. And it's like, this is, this is, this is a white, this is an issue with white America that white America needs to address and needs to deal with. Black people, we are the recipients of it, right? Like we received the, the bad end of it, but this is not a black issue. This is a white issue that white people need to fix amongst this, like amongst their, the, you know, these institutions and their racist granddaddies and uncles. Like that's where the work needs to be done. So Thank you so much for your time, uh, yeah, Jenna. No I really Thank appreciate you. it. Yeah, and I'll, so I'll... For real, it's, it's appreciated me a lot. Reward you, because it's, it's important, and I, I appreciate you using your platform to, like, you know, bring awareness to all that's going on, so... I definitely just feel like it's a long time overdue, so um, I'm happy that you were... You're, you're, you're willing to participate. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I oh, wish you... Angela Davis. Her name just came to me. Oh, Angela Davis. I, I was her name earlier. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, sorry. It's like an Angela actor. Davis. Yeah, no. That's what you said, Black Panther. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> she was there in the Black Panther party, one of the like, you know, leading. Yeah, uh, yeah she, yeah, she, yeah, had a, ended up having like a shootout with the cops and had to be a fugitive. It was a, a wild story, but she's been very, um, I mean, obviously involved, involved in this activist work for forever. And even she is saying, like, this time, this feels different. Okay. This feels different. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's it for the first episode ever of Unfazed with Tezzy Faye. Thank you guys so much for joining. I hope you enjoyed it. You can check out my YouTube channel on youtube.com slash Tezzy Faye, and that is T-A-Z-Z-Y-P-H-E. And if you're interested in watching the video that I made on Black Lives Matter, you can check that out there. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll keep you updated on this podcast. Thanks. Take care. Bye.